Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanokas. Welcome to our latest episode where we'll be discussing the latest news in the world of Formula One. And joining me to do that are two of my regular guests and travelling companions. Very much looking forward to the day we can hit the road again, hopefully when the current awfulness of the pandemic has eased up. Uh, first up, it's Autosport's F1 reporter, Luke Smith. How are you doing, Luke? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, Alex. It's been, uh, yeah, another sort of strangely busy week in the world of Formula One. There's lots of sort of small bits of news just popping up here and there, really. So uh, we're only sort of like three weeks removed, I guess, from the, well, a month now from the end of the season, but things are still ticking over. It's quite interesting. Uh, Yeah, so good to chat about some uh, more news this week. Indeed, yeah, it really does not seem like that long ago at all that it was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in the end of 2020. I was thinking of that earlier on this week. I was like, oh yeah, that, that, that really was just a few weeks ago. Mm, seems yeah, bizarre. I guess that's just the, the natural way the human brain uh, tackles the changing years. Right, well, I'll stop rambling and introduce my next guest, which is motorsport.com's F1 editor, Jonathan Noble. How are you, John? How are you finding this January of Januaries in the, in the pandemic? How does it compare to the usual F1 news cycle at this time of year? Uh, yes, you've got this kind of disconnect between the kind of the, the horrible stuff that's going on outside in the real world and F1 still operates to the, to the kind of the same buzz and the same rhythm and the same kind of reflections on last year and anticipation for next year. But as Luke says, this, it seems to be a bit busier than it normally is at this time of year. But I wonder if we're going to just have, because the season's finished so late, whether we're going to have a bit of a lull in February where we're kind of trapped between the last season was quite a while ago and the teams aren't quite ready to speak enough yet ahead of the new season. 
But first of all, we're going to be discussing three dedicated topics on this uh, new edition of the podcast, which is part of a new weekly offering we're going to be doing leading up to the start of the new season, just chatting through the, uh, the news and events of each week. And our first topic for discussion today is something actually we chatted about quite regularly last year, but haven't had the chance to tackle in depth on the podcast over the Christmas and New Year break. Uh, and that's Red Bull's driver lineup. Uh, now, of course, by now you'll know that Sergio Perez has been signed to partner Max Verstappen, while Alex Albon, his teammate last year and sort of the second half of 2019, has been made the team's reserve driver. Albon will also compete in the revamped DTM category in 2020, where his F1 commitments allow, that is. Uh, and we understand he'll be driving a Ferrari 488 GT3 alongside uh, Red Bull Junior Liam Lawson. How big a hit do you think being demoted back to reserve driver and out of Formula One in terms of racing for at least a, you know, a whole calendar year, how do you think that, how big a hit is that to his F1 ambitions? Yeah, it's huge. And I think that it is so different to when we saw both Pierre Gasly and Daniel Kvyat meet a similar fate when they were obviously both sent back to Toro Rosso. And that gave them at least the chance to kind of rebuild their career and keep racing in F1, keep sort of on that radar. Christine Horner made clear uh, a few weeks before the decision and the end of the season that if Albon didn't get a Red Bull seat for next year, he would be out of F1 completely and on the sidelines. And although the team has said he's going to be undertaking an extensive testing and development program with a view to 2022, it doesn't really give him much of a chance to actually sort of show what he can do and, and, and really strike back and perform. And that's something that both um, Kvyat, particularly when he made his, his second comeback with Toro Rosso, uh, scoring that podium at Hockenheim, and uh, obviously Pierre Gasly to an enormous degree right the way through 2020. They were both able to, I guess, sort of rebuild and get these big results that made everyone go, oh, okay, well, they're still decent, they're still performing. And the issue for Albon is that he doesn't really have that opportunity. And going into a very sort of new DTM series with the, the GT3 rules that they're adopting, but ultimately he's not raced in tin tops ever, I don't think. So I think that's going to be sort of a, a big change for him. And um, yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's a, it is a real, real big setback. And I think that for Red Bull, I think they've just got to, I, I don't really see where he goes from here, to be honest. And I think it's, although it's useful that, okay, he's going to be sort of playing such a big role in that 22 development. I think that unless Perez has an absolutely stinking year in that seat, realistically, are Red Bull going to be looking at Albon as someone to come back for 2022? Because I think either way, either Perez goes beyond the initial one-year contract he signed, or they'll look further into their junior programme if Yuki Tsunoda has an amazing first year with AlphaTauri, if someone like Yuri Vips can really stand out, I don't know. But for me, Albon just seems in this weird sort of purgatory state right now where it's like, I don't know where he's actually going to go. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one, isn't it? In terms of the role he's been given with Red Bull being the reserve driver, you imagine obviously he'll be at all the Formula One races, the sort of the news that he'll be going into the DTM will be very, it was very much, you know, he'll do the races that are not clashing with Formula One, you know, in the coming season. I don't think uh, we've had a DTM calendar. Probably should have looked that up before we start recording the podcast, but uh, maybe I can do that since I've got my computer handy. Um, but it's more that, you know, he's going to be with the team a lot, whereas Red Bull historically has used its um, its backup drivers on race weekends back at base to be testing new parts, to be helping out with the setup and just generally helping out the F1 team, which is why, you know, their, their junior drivers after a little while tended not to be placed in GP2 and what is now F2 because they would be running at the same time. So Albon, you know, I'm sure he'll be working very hard at the factory when it's not a race weekend and we'll be contributing to the team's efforts there. But you could see that as a bit of a sort of a strange, he's not able to help out completely if he's just there twiddling his thumbs on on 
weekends where he's not needed as the reserve. Now, of course, the flip side of that is, as we saw with Nico Hulkenberg, and indeed, I think it was Albon who had a, an inconclusive test at the Nürburgring, although it was later found that he was negative for COVID-19, that Red Bull alerted Hulkenberg that they might need him. In fact, of course, he ended up driving that weekend in place of Lance Stroll. But the news today that Charles Leclerc has tested positive for COVID, Lando Norris, of course, has, has had it recently, and obviously the drivers last year at Racing Point, the missed races, and of course, Lewis Hamilton. So there is the chance that he could be racing next year, which is not guaranteed. So John, can you see him getting back to Formula One after, you know, considering everything that, that Luke has explained and the sort of the strange position he's now in at Red Bull? I think it's better to have one foot in the door than to have had the door completely slammed in his face. So, you know, sure, it's not ideal that he won't be racing, but I think keeping keeping sharp and keeping him with the team, um, being in that reserve standby role will be especially important. I think as, as we see this kind of the coronavirus develop, and we get these new strains. Um, I think we're seeing it's, it seems to be spreading much easier. So, you know, where the precautions that may have worked last year may not work this year, it may be that, you know, as we as we go in, that we will see kind of more flash infections. We had five, I think five drivers now have been taken down with it um, since since the pandemic started. So the likelihood is, you know, the, the others aren't all going to escape. Um, and I think Ross Braun mentioned last year, it's quite interesting that out of all the different um, kind of categories in the paddock of team bosses and mechanics and engineers and journalists and um TV people and catering crews. Actually, the, the drivers as a percentage have been amongst the, the highest um, infected, which is quite quite an interesting thing. So I think Alex does have a chance. Um, you know, we'll, we'll rest a lot on what Sergio does alongside Max. It will rest a lot on what Tsunoda and Gasly do if Gasly stays at, in, within the Red Bull camp for 2022. So I think it's better to, to, to have an option and be considered. And as we saw in Nico Hülkenberg, you know, 12 months ago, he was out of Formula One and pretty much forgotten. And then huge hype around him in the middle phase of last year when he came back and did a pretty good job in that racing point. So um, in F1, you're only ever as good as your last race. And I think if Alex, you know, gets the, the opportunity to do a race, if he does well in that race, then suddenly his, his reputation's back sky high again and he'll be a contender. So he's got that chance. And I think that's the main thing. Indeed, uh, one of us uh, even argued uh, Nico Hülkenberg to be into Autosport's top 50 drivers of the year for 2020, but was outrageously overruled because apparently just doing two races, although it should have been three, of course, uh, not enough. But there we go. Not that I'm not that I'm bitter about that or anything. Uh, and I can just confirm there is a, a nine round uh, 18 race DTM calendar that has been announced. Uh, I won't bother going through the clashes because as we'll come to later, any motorsport calendar at the moment is just is just completely, you know, there's, there's, there's no guarantees that races are going to be happening on any set dates at the moment because of the nature of the pandemic. Um, Luke, it's interesting just just thinking about something John mentioned there about you know, album retaining his links, but where does he come back? You, you think sort of logically it would be with Alpha Tauri, but they've just signed Yuki Sonoda, Pierre Gasly. They're not, they're keep Red Bull keeping hold of him very, very tightly. But there's a whole, there's a whole set of intriguing circumstances about what could happen for all three drivers' careers. If we think about Albon, Sonoda and Gasly because of the like Honda leaving Formula One uh, at the end of next year. Yeah, but would it be logical to expect Albon if he does come back to come back at the lower at the junior team rather than the uh, the, the main Red Bull squad? Uh, I think it's definitely an option. I think that hypothetically, say Sonoda has a very good first season and Red Bull kind of think let's push him straight up to Red Bull, uh, the senior team for the for his second year, a bit like they did with uh, with, with Gasly. Then um, I think that would 
open up a, a possibility. But the other thing is you've got the other Red Bull juniors who are obviously sort of sort of looking to step in as well. Uh, Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson, they're going to both going to be in F2 this year with uh, Red Bull backing, so they're both in that consideration. But I think that. I think the fact that AlphaTauri is now becoming more of a sister team rather than a B team, it's kind of, its purpose is no longer to get the next Red Bull driver on the grid, basically, because ultimately, I mean, well, I mean, we've seen with the signing of Perez that Red Bull have had a bit of a break with that mentality of we can only hire from within our own driver pool. Um, I spoke to Franz Tost uh, a few weeks before the end of the season. We spoke about sort of Gasly and his future, and he said that he doubts that Red Bull would let Gasly go easily. That for all the ideas of him maybe stepping outside of their their pool in the future, that he just doesn't think Red Bull would want to do that. He said that AlphaTauri really wants to build the team around Gasly, like design the car to things that suit him, so have him as the team leader. So I think that it, it really depends. I think that if Sonoda were to get that opportunity to maybe go up to, to Red Bull, which actually is probably looking a little bit more realistic right now than, than Gasly, just because of how Gasly is positioned with AlphaTauri, then maybe Red Bull might say, let's get Albon back in there and give AlphaTauri two very, very good drivers. And I think that Alex has proven on his day that he really can perform and he excelled in the AlphaTauri environment. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think that's maybe more likely, but it's there's just so many moving parts to it, as you said, like with Honda leaving as well. Sonoda, Rebel have always said it's nothing to do with Honda that he's in that seat. Obviously, he's such a, a big Honda protege that it's really hard to think that it's not something to do with it. So I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating. I think that we're already sort of thinking about silly season foot for next year. And I think that how that sort of driver change between Perez, Gasly, Albon, Sonoda and the other Red Bull Juniors moves. I think that's going to be really, really fascinating. I'm going to ask you both uh, shortly to give your opinion on how you think Sergio Perez will get on alongside Max Verstappen next year. But John, just before we do that, what does this latest development in terms of the uh, the second Red Bull seat say about Red Bull's driver programme? Both of the, of the up-and-comers that have come in since Daniel Ricciardo left and went to Renault haven't fared very well. It's been quite painful at times to watch Gasly and Albon uh, racing in that seat and, and not doing particularly well considering how quick the car is. Um, but also at the same time, you know, it, does it nece- is it necessarily a, a, a young driver program problem or is it a case of it's just so difficult for anyone to slot in in a, a car that's difficult to drive in a team that's built and catered around a, an absolute superstar in Max Verstappen and it's it's something else. It's, there's another element that they that Rebel haven't quite right haven't quite got right and that they're aiming to tweak by bringing in an established driver in Sergio Perez. Yeah, I think part part of the problem is just the poor timing in some respects that. Um, you know, you want a young driver program, but you also want the time to get these youngsters up to speed and prepared and iron out the mistakes. Uh, and you look at what Mercedes have done with George Russell, you know, a, a structured three-year plan and sticking to the three-year plan. Um, Toto has been quite clear that, you know, this is the length of time it probably takes to properly get up to speed, to properly understand the strengths and weaknesses. And even after, you know, how brilliant George was in Sakir, Last year, Toto still says that, you know, he needs to iron out mistakes and get rid of the weekdays because when you are thrust into a car at the front of the grid, there's no excuse. People will be on your back if you make the kind of mistakes that George made at Imola this year. So the problem for Red Bull is that they've had vacancies to fill that have kind of been forced upon them. So, you know, Gasly was probably promoted too quickly, not enough time in the junior thing. They didn't deliver because he's up against someone as brilliant as Max Verstappen. So then they were forced to hands to promote Alex probably too early as well. So then you're thrust up too fast uh, into a situation where there's pressure to deliver straight away. You're not, you aren't, don't have three years to get up to speed at Red Bull. You've got to deliver in the first year. Um, so I think it's probably circumstance, which is why 
you know, hats off to them for being pragmatic about taking Sergio Perez. That um, you know they've put the competitive reasons as the primary force behind that decision because they need someone who acts as Max Verstappen's rear gunner. Um, I don't think there's any expectation that you know want Sergio is going to come in and is going to blow Verstappen's doors off and become a superstar and win six races and fight for the world championship. I think they they still see him playing not necessarily a firm number two support role, but I still think they expect Max to be the team leader on pace. Um, but they want Sergio to be the disruptor and disrupt those Mercedes, cause them trouble, and that will help Red Bull in the championship fight. And Luke, do you think he'll be able to do that? How do you think he'll he'll get along in terms of... Because uh, Red Bull really just need him to be there or thereabouts with Verstappen. They, they just need to have a, a second card to play when it comes to tactics. And, and you know, if there is an opportunity the Mercedes let slip that they can use both their cars to capitalise because there will have been opportunities. We think of Imola where Hamilton had a bad start last year and then Bottas picked up damage. With a second car, it might have been a bit easier to to, to defeat Mercedes that day. But yeah, what, what do you, how do you think Perez will get on next year? Yeah, I think he'll do grand. I think that he will be that rear gunner that Rebel have really been lacking ever since Daniel Ricciardo left the team. And I think that it's obviously clear that the team is built around Verstappen. That car is very much sort of t- towards his driving style and stuff. And we saw this year how even Max struggled at points with it, but particularly um, Albon did. And I think that Checo stepping into that, I don't think it's going to be... Yeah, it'll take a bit of sort of time to adjust and acclimatise to it. But I think that once he gets up to speed, I think, yeah, he'll be, I think he'll be a good match. I think that it won't be the sort of the, the qualifying thrashing that um, Verstappen has delivered his teammates over the past couple of years. I think that Perez will be a good step closer. And I think that you look at, I mean, you think of races like the 70th anniversary Grand Prix where it was all about tyre management. I mean, Perez, that's, that's his thing. Like, he could do that brilliantly. So I really do think that when we have races like that and, that Mercedes do drop the ball and are exposed, I think that it will give Red Bull much more of a chance to actually sort of take them on and and compete against them. And even in Abu Dhabi, I mean, that was a race that had Verstappen not been so much quicker than Mercedes and Mercedes been struggling so much that Red Bull would have been in trouble because Albon was so far behind that Mercedes could have split strategies with their cars quite easily, had this kind of pincer movement. And that's really where race wins are lost. And I think that Perez, I think he's just he's just got the experience, he's got the pace, and I, I'm just really excited to see him finally in a top-line car to see what he can probably do because it's going to be, I think, really exciting that for a driver who's sort of been one of the best in F1 pound for pound for the past sort of five or six years to now finally get the opportunity. I think it's going to be really, really exciting. Definitely. And just I was thinking the other day about that, uh, 2020 Emilia Romagna race at Imola after Verstappen had, had, had gone out with a puncture where they get the safety car um, Bottas gets the debut taken out of his car and effectively you've got the two Mercedes just showing what they can do and they just clear off the gap at the end of the race is just staggering between the Mercedes and the rest of the field and it really demonstrated how good Verstappen was to hang with them for most of the race and across the season it was just like with him gone they were completely clear and it was just showed again how good that, that W11 car was but John, are we? I take it then we're not expecting any Perez versus Ocon style, you know, 2017, 2018 style fireworks between Verstappen and uh, and Perez next year. I don't think so. Although it'd be quite fun to see a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of argy bargy between Verstappen and Perez because I think that would be quite quite feisty. I reckon. Um, no, I think I think Perez knows kind of the, the scenario he's going into there. Um, I think he knows he's not, you know, when Ocon came in against Perez, he had a point to prove and you're a youngster trying to make a seal a reputation. Uh, you want to show that you're also no pushover. Whereas I think Perez is, is, you know, much in a different phase of his career. 
much more grown up. He knows the job he's got to do. He knows he's got a golden opportunity to deliver perhaps his most successful season in Formula One. So I think I think they'll work well as a team, even if you know I think they will be racing hard at times. Well, let's move on to our second topic for this podcast, which is probably, unfortunately, going to be a regular feature for the podcast ahead of the start of the season. And no doubt, indeed, when it finally gets underway as well, given all the dreadful uncertainty we currently find ourselves living through. And that is changes that have been made to the 2021 calendar. Now, the three of us spoke last week about the expected postponement of the Australian Grand Prix, and that has now happened with the race pushed back from being the season opener to the 21st of November. Uh, The Emilia-Romagna race will return at Imola, and that will be the second round of the season currently slated for the 18th of April. Uh, Luke, can you please give us the full story on the latest calendar shufflings, including what that means uh, for pre-season testing? And are there any further changes predicted at this stage? Sure. So, uh, yeah, as you said, last week we discussed that the Australian Grand Prix was looking set to be postponed. Um, We then had uh, our colleague in China, Frankie Mao, uh, broke on Saturday that the promoter of the Chinese Grand Prix was asking for a postponement of the race as well as the second half of the season. F1 put in a rejig that was announced this week and confirmed that, uh, yeah, Bahrain will be the new season opener. So as a result of that, pre-season testing has also been moved to Bahrain as well. We're still waiting for an official announcement on that, but all of the teams are now agreed on a date. So that's going to be taking place from the 12th to the 14th of March, um, which is uh, just inside the sort of right window for them to, um, within the sports regulations before the start of the season. And uh, yeah, then we've also got a uh, TBC slot, which was originally set for Vietnam uh, initially. Um, that is moved to May 2nd, and that is set to be the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao, although they're still waiting for an official announcement of that. And we've uh, actually had this afternoon that uh, travel from Portugal to the UK has been suspended by the British government. So it's factors such as that, that when F1 are kind of planning this out, you can't really be too firm in terms of what's happening. So so yeah, so I think really we're looking at we, we just we've just got to take it week by week and month by month and just see what the sort of what happens. It is obviously going to be the flyaway races that are sort of more uh, have having more question marks over them. Um, I understand that an idea of two races at the Circuit de Catalunya in Spain that's been suggested as a possible option uh, if Monaco weren't able to go ahead, and then uh, that back end of the calendar. I mean, it is it's. There's a lot of races. It's what nine races in eleven weeks, three triple headers, uh, all, all sort of going in a line. So I think that's going to really stretch the whole paddock to its absolute limit. But it is all very much a case of will that actually happen? Like, will these flyaway races happen? Will the vaccine that is being rolled out across the world in, in, to varying degrees? How much of that will will help the situation? And yeah, I, but I think F1 they are already showing that they've learned the lessons from last year that they are able to get these races in, such as Imola, such as Portimao, which were good backups last season. And I think that they'll know that European races, such as Austria, Silverstone, Hungary, for example, they'll know how to execute those even under very tight restrictions um, with the pandemic. So uh, yeah, so that's how we're looking right now. I think really realistically, we can look at sort of that first. I guess the first two races, that's all that we're sort of like firmly saying right now is absolutely dead set to happen. But um, yeah, it's going to be, as you say, a story that we sort of follow uh, over the coming weeks and months. And a lot really just depends on how various countries fight the pandemic and what the levels of um, transmission are really across them. Indeed, although you mentioned two races in the circuit to Catalonia, Barcelona. I mean, they're going to have to do something drastic to, <laughs> to spice up the two events, a bit like they did between uh, the two races at Silverstone last year, because the Spanish Grand Prix in 2020, uh, looking back at it for the season review, 
the Mercedes lapped everyone up to third place. Yeah. Like it was just, it was just <laughs> staggering. Just looking back, like, oh yeah, they did that, didn't they? God, it was, it was tremendous. So they're yeah. going to have to. I don't, I don't know, know if they could maybe <laughs> go with the old, um, take out the chicane at the the final corner. I don't know if that they're still allowed to do that. If they could theoretically have like the old circuit to Catalonia was with that sort of final uh, sweeping double right hander. I, I don't know, maybe something like that. I don't know if that's got well, a grade they- one license, but. I've definitely I've definitely played games where you, you, you there's a that you make a corner halfway down the main straight and just cut off half oh, the track. So maybe okay. they could do a bit like a bit like the Sakir Grand Prix. Although of course you mentioned they would have to be uh, licensed by the FIA, but yeah, just something to spice to, to spice that particular event up. <laughs> um, but John, the, the the other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of this topic, and, and Luke has mentioned it already, is that the, the reshuffle has now created three triple headers for this year, which is currently uh, the Belgian, Dutch and Italian races, uh, Russia, Singapore and Japan, and then the USA, Mexico and Brazil before going to Australia and then ending up uh, in the Middle East again to end the season. Now, there's a high chance that many of those will be changed or even outright cancelled considering, you know, the problems in the pandemic. Luke mentions Portugal being added to, you know, the the, the, the flights being stopped in terms of going, coming to the UK. That's specifically because of a new variant coming out of Brazil. And obviously the close links between those two countries, the UK wants to try and restrict or, or at least keep an eye on how that variant would potentially spread to this country. So that that's what that's all about. But what was your reaction to the way it's currently been arranged, given how demanding F1 found such tightly grouped runs of events last year, and it had previously ruled out using triple headers ever again after after having won in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of criticism of um, what F1 had done with the calendar with these this bunch of triple headers, but I've, I've always been convinced that this, this calendar has always been viewed as kind of a, a staging post, that it was, it's never um, their belief that this calendar would would happen as it was so when, when we had a calendar last year some people were surprised you know how committed they were to running 23 races um but um the options at that stage were simply you either publish a list of 23 races or you publish no races and if they published no races it would have looked bad for the sport it would look bad for sponsors it would have been bad for the teams they'd have been criticized for saying why can't you have a calendar this is ridiculous so <clears throat> they've got to project these races and have a an outline plan but um i think as luke says the, the pandemics seems to be moving quite quickly developments you know can happen quite quickly um you know the brazil variant i think has only been talked about within the last 24 hours um and suddenly governments have moved quickly and um travel banned so we're gonna we're gonna keep having these trouble even if the vaccines rolled out by kind of late summer autumn time i don't think that's going to be a you know clear route for having races back in cities or races in locations that can't be locked down. Um, but I think the confidence that F1 has with the way things worked last year, especially the, the biosphere approach they had in Abu Dhabi, um, means I think we can get a calendar. Um, I think it will have to be quite flexible. I think it will not have, won't be able to go to cities that can't be controlled quite well. Um, so I, I don't think the calendars, that second half of the calendar is going to turn out anything like they've published and I think they've picked, they've crammed them in because I think they know that races are going to have to come out. So they know they're going to have to give flexibility and it, it just gives them that that freedom. So, you know, if you lose six races, that's still a 17 race calendar. That's still plenty enough for a for an F1 season. Um, but I think in the end, we're going to end up with a lot more European races, maybe, you know, some back-to-back double headers again, um, repeats like we had last year. And we'll lose some of the flyways into, into cities. Um but I think we'll, we'll we'll get something, but I don't think it's going to be anything like what we've got at the moment. 
if that European triple header that's currently on the calendar at the moment in sort of the back end of the summer going into into the autumn going to from Sparta Monza via Zamvor. John I know you're uh, you don't fancy this from previous chats we've had off the podcast but do you fancy a road trip bringing in all those classic tracks oh hell yeah I'd be well up for that that'd be well cool yeah no no definitely let's do that so well we start a spa pop to Zandvoort down to Monza back yeah we could do that I reckon Good. Well, I mean, I've had I've had chats that should mean I shouldn't be finishing quite so late on a Sunday night when it comes oh, to my tremendous. workload. So you know, might be able to set off a bit earlier, and I might be in a might be in a better mood for a change. But so, nice. you know, I, I can maybe, I can maybe even rope in uh, Stuart Codling and put his seven years in the catering industry to good use as well. We should come on to our final topic to discuss on this podcast, which is that uh, earlier this week, F1 moved to confirm again its commitment to introducing the new rules package for 2022, which has, of course, already been delayed by a year thanks to the pandemic. Um, John, can you just explain why it felt the need to do that, please? Yeah, I think it came came shortly after the, the calendar changes. And um, I think there's been, you know, the fact the pandemic situation appears to be getting a bit worse around Europe has led to more uncertainty. And if you're the F1 organisation, what you don't want is uncertainty. You want, you know, that these races are going to happen, that all the teams are safe, that we're pushing on forwards. Um, and there was a story in um, Italian newspaper, Gazzetta Delle Sport, suggesting the 22 rule changes would be delayed another year for 2023. Um, but very quickly, F1 moved to clamp that down. So absolutely zero chance. Uh, I think they were so firm on it because I think the teams needed um, assurance that they were pushing on that, you know, heading into a, a season where there's a lot of work going on on the 2022 cars, having to juggle that development alongside pushing on with the current cars where they can work on them. Um, so I think it's more just about giving certainty to the situation because sometimes in Formula One, a, you know, a small whisper or a small rumour or a small point of speculation, you know, can get spiral out of control and, while it may not be true, some people may think that there's some hidden agenda or massive conspiracy um, and it is actually happening and that could hurt teams. They're plotting budgets and have to operate within a cost cap. So I think they, they moved quickly just to nip that one in the bud, make make it clear that 2022, we are getting the new cars. Indeed. And Luke, would it be bad if, if F1, if, if it did came to pass, which obviously we're not expecting, considering all that, that John's explained there. Would it be bad for another year without the the expected revolution in terms of racing happening? Yeah, I think we're all we're all very keen for that to happen, and I think that was the big fan outcry that we saw on the morning that that report emerged before F one had responded with its own statement. It was it, lots of fans saying, "No, no, like we don't want this to, to continue. Like we don't want to have another year of, of Mercedes dominance and everything like that." And although that obviously the the cars aren't a complete carryover so it doesn't mean that 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 would happen obviously it does sort of we are everyone is very eager for this big change and shift in the regulations to happen and i think that things such as the budget cap and and elements such as that it's all it's all pushing towards sort of f1's new future and we want to see that as soon as possible we do and obviously it's a, a very difficult situation right now with with the pandemic but we've got the budget cap starting this year which is a, a very good step and that's really good news and i think that we just want to see these new cars as the the, the next thing that comes in so that we can have uh the, the more level playing field and although the bigger teams with the better resources are still going to be ahead to begin with i think we we don't really want to delay it any further to sort of wait for this convergence that I think everyone is really hoping for so yeah I think it wouldn't be it wouldn't be great if F1 was forced to delay again so that's why it was as John said very good to see it so emphatic in its response and call the report wrong and say that it just wasn't going to be delayed again 
Indeed, indeed. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our final, actually a bonus topic, because we are trying to keep everything to sort of, we're only going to talk about three bits of news per podcast on these sort of uh, weekly editions that we're now going to be doing. What was your reaction to seeing the temporary winter livery? I say that, you know, doing the classic cliche of inverted commas with my fingers that the listeners won't be able to see on our Zoom call. The pictures that the Alpine team released this morning. What did you what did you make of uh, of those pictures, John? I was more... Uh, more amazed by the fact everyone seemed to get so angry about it that a team basically um, it was a big Renault announcement today about I think they call it Renault-lution so it's Renault's roadmap for um, it's it's kind of uh, the Renault group cars of Renault and Alpine uh, and Dacia kind of going forwards over the next 10 to 15 years so and part of that plan includes Formula One um, which I think is you know, a great thing. This is the thing to get excited about, that a company like Renault is so committed to Formula One and throwing its weight behind with the, the switch to the Alpine brand. And part of that, they um, you had an Alpine car in the presentation and issued some photographs just to talk about it, this um, the 2020 car with um, you know, black colours and the, the tricolour on the back. Um it's an interim livery. It's a temporary livery. It was just a, you know, nothing, it's going to be, I think, nothing like what they are going to unleash. So I didn't quite understand why people were so saying this is such a missed opportunity and they could have done so much better. It just seemed, seemed lunacy to me, really. So it will be different. I know when I went to the presentation, when they announced the Alpine um, rebrand in Monza, we had a, a media chat with Luca De Meo and Cyril Abitabal and we were shown some images of, you know, ideas of what their livery could look like. And it was nothing like, what they showed today, it looked, um, you know, they used the Alpine blue, um, incorporated the flag much better. So this isn't the final livery. I think the fact it isn't the final livery, it's an interim livery. Um, so that's all we need about it, really. Indeed. Luke, what, what did you think when you saw uh, people getting explosive on Twitter about this temporary livery? It's F1 Twitter, isn't it? It's just like, let's forget the facts. Let's just go to like, our hot opinions and this is what we think and rah, rah, rah. And yeah, I, 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 again, I didn't get it. Like, I, think, I think it was made quite clear through everything, through all our reports and all of that, that it was just a, a temporary livery. But I think, I guess, just the initial human reaction is you see something and go, oh, I don't like it, and then, then, then moan about it. And I think that the, the sort of idea that, oh, has F1 had a, a livery crisis and things in the past, and is it a very colourful grid and whatever? And I think that ultimately, like, it, it's just, it, it doesn't matter because this is not the final livery. Like, I think Alpine, they've been, we, we've seen through their sports car stuff in uh, recent years, they've always sort of used that nice chrome blue colour. And I think that would be really, really cool. And that would really make the car stand out if they were to go ahead with that for, for the final design. Um, but yeah, I think we just got to wait and see what the actual livery they announce next month is. I thought it was a very sort of run of the mill press conference. And they were kind of like, okay, well, it's this is what we're thinking in terms of like adopting the the, uh, the red, white, and blue colours of the new logo and stuff they've announced. And people sort of took that and ran with it very quickly. So I, I didn't really understand that. But um, yeah, I thought it was also quite interesting that it was an interim livery and it was just a, a basically a black base with the the, the red, white, and blue colours on. And yet they still explained like, oh, that there's a reason behind this black base livery. I think it was a hark back to the original. Alpine F1 project and, uh, and something like that and it's like just just don't worry about it lads just call it this is how it is for the time being you'll see the full thing next month and then I'm sure people will get angry about it again then as well 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if you really want to get some a ridiculous interim livery, go back and look at what the Neo Formula E team revealed a few years ago, just making up words to describe colours, basically. Um, that was pretty silly. But yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with what you guys said. Although I did think it might have been a, a slight missed opportunity not to just show the new livery, considering the time of year it is. There's not a lot else happening. Like I think um, Aston Martin played a, played a blinder last week in terms of getting coverage for its new sponsor because they, you know, they put, put out that teaser image which had the sponsor logo on it really prominently. But every Everyone else is like, well, it's going to be it's going to be green again. But so you get people clicking on to read about the new color scheme, and also you've got their sponsor name lodged into their brains. I thought that was a really clever move, and maybe Alpine could have done a similar thing in terms of right, let's get the buzz in of what the new F1 cars colors are going to be, and also here's all the other information out of it. But then again, we're we're already talking about it, so the PR move clearly clearly paid off anyway. But just by getting angry, just by getting mentioned in uh, in podcasts and in stories, that uh, they've done their job. So fair play to Alpine there and to Renault and everybody else involved in that announcement so we shall bring the podcast to a close there thank you very much to the two of you for coming on the podcast today and of course to everybody listening along now just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and will be available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents as well as on the doormats of subscribers there'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package we'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.